the Beatles had this chant, John, Paul and George, and probably then Stuart and Pete, had this chant when things weren't going well, which in their world wasn't very often because mostly it was an upward trajectory, but nonetheless, sometimes you know, they would have a bad night or the gig would, you know, didn't work properly or the amps broke or whatever. I say, where are we going, fellas? And they go, to the top, Johnny. And I say, where's that, fellas? And they say, to the toppermost of the poppermost. And I say, right. Then we'd all sort of cheer up. Where are we going, Johnny? Straight to the top, boys. Oh, yeah? Where's that? The toppermost of the poppermost. The Beatles had this chant, John, Paul and George, and probably then Stuart and Pete, had this chant when things weren't going well, which in their world wasn't very often because mostly it was an upward trajectory, but nonetheless, sometimes, you know, they would have a bad night or the gig would, you know, didn't work properly or the amps broke or whatever. I say, where are we going, fellas? And they'd go, to the top, Johnny. And I say, where's that, fellas? And they say, to the toppermost of the poppermost. And I say, right. Then we'd all sort of cheer up. Hey, hey, hey. Where are we going, fellas? To the, to the top. top. What top? To the, to the very top. top. They had this chant, and John would say, where are we going, fellas? And the others, in an American accent, and the others would say, to the top, Johnny. Get the exact wording right. Um, where's that, fellas? To the toppermost of the poppermost, Johnny. <laughs> And that was their rallying call in when times were bad to kind of, yes, you know, we're still here, we're still together. A lot of irony in it as well. It was kind of done in a heavy American accent as a send-up. Welcome to the premiere of Toppermost of the Toppermost at the Fest for Beatles fans. Yes, I'm Ken O'Toole. I'm Ed Chen, who you may have just seen but now in a different, completely different role. <laughs> we started this podcast earlier this year. Last year. Last year, my God, uh, it's October, been that one? October of last year. Oh my gosh. The first show corresponded to the first time that Love You Do appeared on the charts. That's right, Gwen, what am I thinking? Our other co-host is uh, Martin Quibell, who can't be with us, unfortunately. You know, normally the three of us, but now the two of us. We go through the charts, and we are not only tracking the Beatles history on the charts, but we also look at the other artists on the U.S. and U.K. charts who either have a direct connection to the Beatles, or they have influenced the Beatles, or we also look at trends on the charts from the uh, eras, from the years that we're looking at, and we've really been having a great time. It gives you some context for where the Beatles mm -hmm. came from and why are they making the kind of music they were making in 1963 and beyond. Exactly, and so, you know, we really, for ourselves and, and for our listeners, I think we've really gained even more insight into the Beatles' history. Uh, so today, we're not only going to talk about this, but we're giving you a little taste of what we do. In our regular episodes, if you tune in, we typically we look at the songs on either the Billboard or the Cashbox chart, and the what is now referred to as the official British charts, because there were literally dozens of charts in Britain in 1963. We always hear, oh, please, please, me was the Beatles' first number one. On the official charts, it wasn't. It only ever got to number two on the official, on what is now the official British charts. That's right. And for this special 
Fest episode, uh, we're going to be doing something a little different than we normally do on our shows. Uh, we are going to be talking about 1963 in the UK charts, but we are going to show that the Beatles were on some U.S. charts, but local radio charts. And uh, we, of course, are going to pay particular attention to uh, Chicago, uh, since we are right here. And also featuring, we always do a feature on our show. So we're starting with our feature on WLS radio legend, Dick Biondi, who, well, just recently passed away, unfortunately. Yes, and uh, and I it really uh, hit me particularly hard because I wasn't around when uh, he was uh, on the radio in the 60s, but I was listening to him in the 80s when he was on uh, WJMK, which was an oldie station here, Magic 104. Hello, everybody, and thank you for listening. It's good to be back at Magic 104. Well, I'll tell you. Seems like I've been away for a month, but that trip to Memphis was on a sight. Gonna talk about that and a few other things between now and 10 o'clock. Beyond the Wild Italian with the Beatles. And I was really starting as a teen to discover the Beatles and discover 50s and 60s music, and I often have called him my teacher uh, because he knew everybody. I mean, he knew a lot of the musicians personally. He was known as the Wild Italian. That was his, his you know, his moniker on the air. And he was, uh, as I said, he taught me indirectly all about uh, these artists. And as Ed said, we lost him earlier this year, sadly. But as you may know, he played a part in Breaking the Beatles in America, and he is most known for being right here on Chicago, in Chicago on WLS uh, AM, which is now I think it's mainly talk radio, but, uh, but back then it was a huge top 40 station uh, in the 60s, and we will actually be kind of seeing him twice because he was until May 1963 on WLS, but due to uh, it kind of varies. Uh, the stories you hear was a money dispute, uh, maybe some other reasons. He left and went to a station in L.A. KRLA. KRLA, yes, and ended up becoming a disc jockey there. It's debated if he is really the very first Well, DJ. I mean, we can't know. There is a small possibility that someone played my body. We know the record existed. And we know that they sent out some copies of radio station, but we have no record of anybody ever actually playing it. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of debated, but I think we can safely say he was one of the earliest to play uh, a Beatles record in America. Please, please me.
Road. And so he is credited as being one of the very first DJs to play a Beatles record in America. All right, so we will move on to the British charts, which is what we usually do. We have chosen the weeks that correspond to when they appeared in these various local charts in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Indeed. So we're looking at uh, March 12, 1963. And so we're looking at number one we picked because this is a gentleman that we have encountered many times on our show. Uh, we call him one of our buddies. Um, and he was a rival with George Harrison and sort of Paul McCartney for the love of Iris Caldwell, the sister of Rory Storm. Yes, indeed. Frank Ifield. And he was known as one of the great yodelers, believe it or not. Listen to the last episode where there's a Frank Ifield song excerpted, which is called It Turned Into a Yodel. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliantly funny stuff. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and so, and, but he was a big hit in England, and so he was at number one with Wayward Wind. This was like one of his signature tunes. And I was born the next of kin, the next of kin. I spent my younger days And I guess the sound of the outward bound Made me a slave To my wandering ways And then at number two, we have Summer Holiday by Cliff Richard. I know, I'm sure you all know Cliff Richard. Huge hit. And this uh, was from a movie, which I think was also called Summer Holiday, as I recall, that was from this film. And you can see clips of it on YouTube. It was kind of a typical film of the day. I mean, you know, Cliff Richard was, as we all know, a teen idol. And so it was, you know, kind of a musical film that was typical of the time. You can kind of see from watching that Why Hard Day's Night was such a breakthrough movie. You know, it was so different. It wasn't just sort of the typical teen beach romp, you know, kind of film. We're all going on a summer holiday. No more working for a week or two. Fun and laughter on a summer holiday. No more worries for me or you. And then at number three, there we go. There's Please Please Me. Although notice it has slipped the spot. It was number two the prior week, and now it is at number three. So it's it's starting its fall down the charts, and the Beatles are need to come up with their next record. Yes, indeed. So uh, so we got that. And then at number eighteen, here we have one of their biggest influences. Here's Elvis with uh, one broken heart for sale. One broken heart. And then number 28, you have Mr. Ackerbilt, very old school British entertainer, but the song he's doing is A Taste of Honey.
interesting to see this on the same chart. Now, interesting note, Ackerbilk was part of what was the traditional jazz movement, or trad jazz, as, as they called it in Britain. And this is an example of sort of the old and new clashing on the British charts. These were the kind of records that you know were fairly popular on the British charts. You know these these sort of instrumentals, um, and as I said, these these traditional jazz kind of records that uh, would soon be gone. Well, and and famously when. Mick Jagger would induct the Beatles into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He said, well, George came up to me and said, are you going to say nice things about us? But he ended up saying, well, you know, I'm glad the Beatles came along because before them, there was Ackerbilk. Yep, yeah, he got a nice little dig in at Ackerbilk. It's very interesting, these charts. You see kind of the clash of the older kind of records, the pop records. You have, of course, Elvis, you know, that... Uh, influenced the Beatles, and then, you know, Frank Ifield, and then here comes the new with the Beatles. All right, so we move on to what will correspond to the next American chart we will see shortly as we move on to the American charts the week of April the 25th, 1963, and things have already started to change in the UK. There at number one is Jerry and the Pacemakers with How Do You Do It? Yeah, I mean, we're starting to see the George Martin stable coming in here. There's How Do You Do It, which, uh, as we know, the song that Beatles turned down. Uh, Jerry and the Pacemakers definitely had the big hit with it, and I know it's been debated as to whether the Beatles version uh, was it that great or not, but I think we all agree that uh, the Beatles made the right decision, and it's interesting, you know, to think that the, that was really nervy of the Beatles, you know, these newcomers, let's face it, to say to George Martin when they were given this song to do, to say, uh, no, we can do better. You know, and think about that, they were a new band. You know, this was in the days where, you know, the producer handed you a song and said, this is what you're going to do. So pretty amazing to think about, but it is a good pop song. You know, we talked about it on our show. I mean, it, it sticks in the head. And during the pacemakers, you know, I-, I um, And them, for the longest time, they were guests at the best. Yeah, so, absolutely. Well, Jerry was, I mean. Yeah, the Jerry. papers were whoever he had behind you but yeah. at that point in time. And very much missed. How do you do what you do to me If I only knew That perhaps you'd fall for me Like I love you When I do it to you So we move on to number three, that next Beatles single that I was speaking of. There's for me to you, the interesting thing about that song this week, it had jumped 20 spots. It was number 23 before. This week, it is at number three. That's quite an impressive leap, isn't it? And we're going to be saying more about From Me to You in, in just a bit, and we'll play a big role in, in America as well. You know, and there will be another artist that will have a cover of it in America. Okay, at number four, Tommy Rowe with the folk singer. He let his hair grow long and he dressed in style. The folk singer, his voice was pure and the fans went wild for the folk singer. Tommy Rowe, 
who was, well, very much part of the Beatles' lives right around that point in time. Yes, indeed. Uh, he was on tour with the Beatles along with, with Chris Montez. Tommy Rowe had a rather interesting encounter <laughs> with the Beatles. Well, we can ask Rowe best about that, but uh, the, the story is after John Lennon uh, had an interesting evening. <laughs> well, it was an afternoon, wasn't it? It was like lunchtime is what they said. That's right. He went back to the bus and Tommy Rowe was apparently just sitting there and John Lennon poured beer over his head. Yeah, and uh, Tommy Rowe was not too excited about it. And the two of them got into a big fight, <laughs> a big fist fight, and it was pretty much the end of their friendship. Yeah, I mean, they have stories about how, oh, the first couple weeks of the tour, everything was great, and, you know, we'd go back and we would talk songs and songwriting and, and all this and that, but after John Lennon was in a bad mood one day, that all ended. Exactly. So that didn't turn out so well. So that's the, uh, the story of Tommy Rowe and the Beatles. At number six, there's Frank. Again, Frank Ideal. We, as Kit says, we refer to him as our buddy. Here he is. He's still on the charts. Be honest and faithful. Be kind. And promise me that you will never be nobody's darling. amazing to me as we go through these charts month by month just how big Frank Ideal was. He really was. It's astounding. Listen to our previous episodes and you'll hear how much he comes up and just how many hits he had at this point. He was quite a yodeler. At number 10, the posthumous release Brown Eyed Handsome Man from Buddy Holly. I mean, Buddy was amongst the first to do the Free as a Bird thing. They took recordings which Buddy hadn't necessarily finished or intended to release, put a new backup band behind them and put them out and they became it. Yeah, he, Buddy Holly really continued to posthumously sell records in England. Um, less so in the United States, some yeah, lot, but, yeah, but less so. But less so. And as we all know, Buddy Holly was a huge influence on the Beatles and they covered uh, many of the songs, but it's, it's fascinating to note just how much his records continued to sell, much more in England than here. At number 47, Woe Is Me from Helen Shapiro. Oh, oh, it's me. Yes, and uh, you know, if you listen to our shows, we really go more into Helen Shapiro. She was an incredible singer. You know, she really was. She was blessed and cursed with her voice because she had this incredible smoky quality. <laughs> that was the problem. She sounded so much older than her years. And so, you know, I think that they had trouble finding material that was really appropriate for her. That she did sound so much older. Yeah, Kitty songs didn't work for her voice. And you don't really want a 16-year-old singing love more heartbroken songs. Yeah, I mean, because it just wasn't appropriate for her age. But she did have. I thought a, a, a you know, great, great, great voice. And as as we all know, the Beatles toured with her, and they became great friends. And the Beatles wrote "Misery" originally for her. And you can see, look who it is 
on YouTube where Helen Shapiro is having fun with the Beatles. Yeah, that's a great clip. If you look it up, it's just clear how much you know, Beatles were really fond of her, you know. And then I apologize, that's out of order, but uh, number 40, a song we all know, Some Other Guy by the Big uh, Three. Uh, a Brian Epstein act, and probably the least successful in the Brian Epstein stage. <laughs> yep, which is a shame because, as we all know, this is a great song. Some other guy now has taken all love away from me. Come on, some other guy, and uh, became a classic for Mersey Beat groups. You know, so many of them covered this. Well, Elvis Costello still prefers this version to the Beatles BBC version of it. I don't agree. Elvis. I, I, I don't agree with that. I think mean, the Cavern version is one of the greatest things ever. But you know, hey, he's Elvis Costello, and who are we? Yeah, exactly. And by the way, before you say, why are we picking on the Big Three? The Big Three agreed. The, the lead singer uh, later said in an interview they weren't happy with their recording either. I think they said they were tired that day, and they agreed it was not one of their best recordings. Well, it was one of the reasons why they would have their disagreements with Brian and eventually leave. Yeah, yes. that's right. All right, so now we're up to August 10th, 1963. In the UK, the acts which will become British Invasion Acts are really starting to take over the charts. We're going to see a lot more British Invasion here, and here's a big one at number one, The Searchers with Sweets for My Sweet. Our guests today are The Searchers, and they're making their very first broadcast. Like a lot of the guest groups appearing on this show, they have a very successful record way up in the charts. So let's hear The Searchers and Sweets for My Sweet. Sweets for my sweet, sugar for my honey, your first sweet kiss thrills me so. Yeah, Martin described that as an all-time classic. I mean, it's a little bit less so here in the States. We all, or most of us, know the song, but it's not quite the classic that Martin said that it was. For the UK, I'm sure it is. Yeah, and if you remember in the Beatles' first U.S. Uh, video where the Beatles were asked what their favorite groups were, and I remember John saying the Searchers and the Rolling Stones. Yeah, and I mean, Brian is quoted as saying, what is his one regret? His one regret was he had a chance to sign the Searchers and he didn't. He said, if I could change one thing, I would go back and sign them as well. Yep, exactly. All right, at number two, there's our buddy Frank with Confessing. Yep, I mean, just incredible. This man racked up the hits. I'm afraid someday you'll leave me. Saying, can't we still be friends? If you do, you know you'll grieve me for all in life on you depends. Am I guessing that you really love me? Dreaming dreams of you in vain. I'm confessing that I love you over again. Okay, at number three, Devil in Disguise. You look like an angel, walk like an angel, talk like an angel, but I got wise. You're the devil in disguise. It's not the best of Elvis's material, and the, John Lennon was on Jukebox Jury right around this time, and he compared Elvis in this song to Bing Crosby. Yep, ouch. 
Yeah, there's, yeah, if you look it up on uh, YouTube, or is it on YouTube? Well, the, the audio is on YouTube. The sadly, audio. sadly, the video no longer exists. Yeah, um, and he was on Jukebox Jury, you know, artists were, you know, would rank the new singles of the week and were told, you know, was this, is this a hit or, or a miss? You know, potential. And boy, John was in a really bad mood. He, he, he said everything on the charts that week was a miss. Uh, um, amongst the other songs was On Top of Spaghetti. Yep. <laughs> which, since we're mentioning Dick Biondi, Dick Biondi actually had a local hit here in Chicago yes, he with a song called On Top of Pizza, which was just another modified version of On Top of Spaghetti. Exactly, you know. But yeah, he did not like Devil in Disguise. <laughs> so that was, yeah, rather, uh, rather awkward. Number four, a song that uh, we all know, uh, Twist and Shout, but this one is by Brian Poole and the Tremolos. Tremolos are well known to us because they are the act that Decca decided to sign instead of the Beatles on January 1st, 1962. Oops. Yeah. That was not a good move by Decca. Uh, <laughs> and despite the fact that the lead singer of the Tremolos said that, oh, we've been doing it for years and we thought it was a great version, it is an almost exact duplicate with a very slight variation in the guitar line. You know, they're, they're, they're doing a little bit more of the Latin, the La Bamba kind of beat than the one that the Beatles would end up using. Exactly. So, but other than that, it's a pretty close copy. Uh, on to number nine, we have I Like It by Jerry and the Pacemakers, their follow-up, which is, I personally don't like it quite as well as some of their other hits, but it's catchy. You know, it's a, it's a catchy track. But again, we have more George Martin. Number 10, You Can Never Stop Me Loving You by Kenny Lynch. Kenny Lynch was the one who ended up doing the cover of Misery, and Kenny Lynch is one of the gentlemen who would appear on the Band on the Run cover many years later. And I'll tell you, as we've been working on this show, Kenny Lynch has been a great, I mean, discovery, I hate to say that. Our British listeners would probably say, where have you been? But Kenny Lynch is a great singer. Uh, he could have been like a Motown-style artist if he were here in the States. Absolutely. I really encourage you guys to go look up his stuff. He was just a great old-school soul singer. And this is a great example. Uh, you can never stop me loving you. You can never stop me loving you. Never stop the way that my heart's beating too. So I, I really encourage you to go look up this catalog. At number 11, a gentleman you can just walk over to the other side and see, Mr. Billy J. Kramer with Bad to Me. 
And here we go. This is uh, an example of Lennon McCartney's growing hit-making prowess. Uh, they wrote this, and then became a big hit for Billy J. The birds in the sky would be sadder only if they knew that I must smile. One and only they'd be sad if you're bad to me. At number 20, now for me to you is falling down the charts. You know, it's it, once again, the next thing from the Beatles needs to be coming along, and well, it will. Yep, that's right. It'll come very soon. Uh, and at number 28, this is a big deal, the debut single for the Rolling Stones, Come On, uh, which was a cover of a Chuck Berry B-side. And very interestingly, the Stones really didn't like this record very much. And at the time, in their concert zone, refused to play it, which their manager really didn't appreciate. And practically had to force them to play the song. Everything was wrong since me and my baby parted. All day long I walked in because I couldn't get my car started. Laid up on my job and I can't board to check it. I wish somebody come along and run into it and wreck it. Come on. And they would not play it live for another 50 years. On the 50th anniversary tour, there's one show where Mick says, oh, well, someone told me that it was 50 years ago that we released Come On. I kind of remember it, and he sort of remembers about the half of the first verse. Yep, it's on YouTube. I, I think just the audio. Just um, the audio, yeah. Yeah, you can hear, and he just sings like a couple lines, and then it's like, okay, moving on. You know, so even now, they can't stand this song. <laughs> and finally... Yet another one from Billy J. Yet another Lennon McCarty song. Do you want to know a secret? Yep, and it's going down the charts at this point. Listen, do you want to know a secret? Do you promise not to tell? Whoa, whoa, whoa closer. Let me whisper in your ear. Billy, and we're hoping for a future episode we might be able to get Billy uh, on our show. Quite possibly. Uh, let's hope. All right, so now we're going to move over to the American charts. Again, what we would normally do is the national American charts. This time we are looking at some local charts because every town had a pop radio station or two. Each of them would put out their own charts. It's not like it is today. You know, today there is very much a unified playlist for every pop or rock radio station in the country. At the time, DJs could choose what they wanted to play. Very different time back in the early 60s. The playlists really differed, and so we're going to briefly go through some of these playlists, and we'll show you that the Beatles did indeed appear on some of these local stations. And we're going to show you again, just to give you a taste of what we do on top of most of the pop or most. Also pull out a few other songs of interest, some that have connections to the Beatles and some that just show you some of the trends that were of that time. And we're going to start with a station near and dear to our hearts here in Chicago, WLS with Dick Biondi. Check it out, Please Please Me. It was on the playlist here, number 35. And yes, it was spelled with two T's. Well, and we actually have an air check of Dick Biondi playing Please Please Me, at the time, it's really pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, talk about a piece of history. Now, it's spelled with two T's because, of course, it was on VJ in America. That's how they spelled it. You know, they spelled it with two T's. You know, great, great spell checking there. And it wasn't that anyone had 
influenced him to play this record. There are several stories from the VJ folks that Dick Biondi just picked up this song and said, you know, I like this song, I want to put it on the air. And that was how it ended up being played. You know, it was in the records that VJ sent over to him. This is the one that he chose. Exactly. And of course, VJ, local label. So yeah, I mean, and that just wouldn't happen today when it was being so standardized. And so we have that. And then some other records on the, that were getting airplay at the time that have some Beatles connections. Number two, He's So Fine by the Chiffons. Of course, we, we know one of the connections with uh, Mike Sweet Lord. Produced by Phil Spector. He would work with many years later with George Harrison and with John Lennon. At number nine, Linda by Janet Dean. Anybody out there want to tell us who the Linda in question actually is? Linda Eastman. You got it. And if you want to find out exactly how and why the song was written, we have that story in our full show. Yes, yep, we went into the the whole story and uh, it's really a, a fascinating one. Final overdub, one B. We can always cut this off. There's nothing. It doesn't work, right? No. I think you better slide into it. I'm going to slide into it. Okay. Number 14, In Dreams, Roy Orbison. And of course, the Beatles supported Roy Orbison on tour, and he would have a great influence on them in their songwriting. Please Please Me started out as a slow Roy Orbison uh, kind of song before George Martin encouraged them to rewrite it to be a you know, faster song. And of course, Roy would go on to be a traveling Wilbury in the late 80s. WLS chart, I mean, you can't quite see it, but you, you get an idea. It was very well printed, and you know, they always had the various jocks pick photos down at the bottom. One of the ones that we have has a cigarette advertisement on the back, which is, well, not something you'd see these days. No. <laughs> yeah, very, very of the time. Uh, so now we move on to uh, KEWB. Now let's hit it! KEWB Discovery! May the 4th. May the 4th, and why look, here it is. Please, please be number 40 with the Beach of Tolls. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, so I was getting airplay there. Now, trend that was going on at the time on the charts, there was a Latin trend. Uh, and of course, the Beatles would experiment with this in, in some of their songs, including in I Love Her and, and many others. Um, but there was an interesting trend going on that I learned about in researching for our shows, um, and it was called Boogaloo. And, uh, and it was a kind of music that was sort of a cross between R&B, rock, and Latin, and it was kind of the precursor to salsa. Um, salsa would really take over in the 70s. And two songs, are on the chart that represent that. El Watusi by Ray Barreto. Nadie se va a pagar con Watusi. Uh-uh. 
¿Pero por qué? ¿Le tiene miedo a Guatuzzi? En Watermelon Man, by Mongo Santa Maria. actually a cover of Herbie Hancock. Herbie Hancock came out with the song first. And There's a great story that goes along with that. And, and we actually have a snippet of an interview where he goes into how that came into being. Exactly. And you can listen to that episode to hear the full story. But uh, another song that came out of this that was uh, out maybe a year or two later is called I Like It. And if you've heard the Cardi B song, I Like It, uh, it samples that, so you you've heard it, and that's Boogaloo. So uh, so that's one trend. And then we move on. Motown was really, at least in the charts, something new at this point in time. You can see a couple of Motown songs that were in these charts. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and of course we all know that uh, Motown hugely influenced the Beatles. Uh, they were big, big, big fans, and so these are two slightly lesser known. Um, Motown cuts, but we of course know the artist. Well, she can count on by the miracles. At number 13 and number 34, come get these memories by Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. Love you. were just masters at interpreting the quotes girl group, uh, girl groups in Motown in particular. So it's interesting that, as I said, these two are lesser known, but definitely representative of the Motown sound. All right, we move on to KFXM. This was uh, from April. KFXM 590. And there, number 41 under Wax to Watch. Kit loves that. I love that Wax to Watch. <laughs> there again is Please Please Me. So this is yet another radio station playlist. It's on, but we have other interesting records on here. Goffin and King compositions. And as we all know, Goffin and King have, were huge influences on the Beatles as well. And we have The Cookies. Uh, this isn't Chains, but this is a Don't Say Nothing. Um, with the B-side Softly in the Night. And I didn't know Don't Say Nothing right off the bat, but then when I heard the song, I knew it. So if you go on YouTube, Spotify, whatever your, your choice is, and listen to it, you'll know this song. You've heard it. He's a Bad Boy by Carole King. This was an early single of hers. I really liked it. I thought it was a nice record and a nice uh, early vocal from her. So, real building uh, stuff. So, and, and, ooh, and as I said, uh, it's uh, definitely the real building uh, material 
influenced one of McCartney compositions. Mama doesn't like him cause he never cuts his hair. Daddy doesn't like him cause he says he heard him swear. He's a bad boy. here but I do want to mention we do talk a lot about songwriters and there's one songwriter who we both feel doesn't get recognized enough and that's Doc Thomas he yeah. wrote virtually every hit record right around this time you can go on the charts and the top 40 you're always gonna find 10 records literally 10 records which were written or co-written by Doc Thomas. Absolutely. The next one we want to mention quickly is the folk trend. Bob Dylan, you know, certainly uh, had music out and everything by this time, but it was also what I call folk pop that was popular at this time. It wasn't really confrontational kind of folk. It wasn't protest. It was like lighter folk. And uh, so at number three, we have, I like how it was just identified in this chart as Puff. It well, is Puff. I mean, <laughs> we, we, we've had our disagreement as to whether there was any actual intent, uh, or is this a drug reference or not. Mm -hmm. Kit says no, both Martin and myself says, yeah, there was probably at least a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it could be, but, you know, Peter, Paul, and Mary said it wasn't. Well, they they so. said it wasn't. Yeah. I won't agree with you. But. It's a sweet children's song, Ed. Don't oh, shatter my right. childhood dreams. Come on. Up the magic dragon Lived by the sea And frolicked in the autumn mist In a land called Hanali uh, at number 26, we have Tomcat by the Rooftop Singers. I got an old Tomcat And when he steps out All the other cats In the neighborhood They begin the Rooftop Singers. Another pop folk group at the time, and then at number 40, the Kingston Trio, which was a huge folk group at the time, with the Reverend Mr. Black. And it was also an example of what was called uh, Hootenanny music at the time, which I'm sure you remember there was a TV show at the time also called Hootenanny, which was also about, you know, kind of a sing-along. So that was a trend of the time. He rode easy in the saddle, he was tall and lean, and at first he thought nothing but a streak of mean could make a man look so downright strong, but when look in his eyes and you knowed you was wrong. He was a mountain of a man, and I want you to know he could preach hot hell or freezing snow. He carried a Bible in a canvas sack, and the folks just called him the Reverend Mr. Black. So now we have uh, Houston, Texas, 1230. So He's a Texan. I'm from Houston, and well, guess what? There at number 34, there was Please Please Me. So, I mean, we, we see the song just making these little tiny inroads all around the country. You know, Chicago, Miami, Houston, and then we're going to see California shortly here. Exactly. And uh, this time we want to talk briefly about local hits. 
This is something you just don't see anymore with vocal uh, charts. There, these are just hits that were, you know, strictly vocal successes. Uh, and at number 12, this is Got You On My Mind by Cookie and His Cupcakes. does relate to the Beatles. Cookie and his Cupcakes were a group that were an example of what's called Swamp Pop. And Swamp Pop was music that came out of parts of Texas and Louisiana. And the lyrics were sort of a, uh, you've broken my heart in a thousand pieces, I'm begging for your forgiveness. Sort of sounds like Fats Domino, that kind of beat. And with the James Brown style vocal. Oh, well, so yes. Pleading. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Pleading. And a certain band took notice of this style and recorded a tribute called Oh Darling years later. And Cookie and His Cupcakes recorded what's considered the swamp pop anthem uh, called Matilda. And that became a moderate hit nationally. So this is another one of their songs called Got You On My Mind. So it was out of Louisiana, and mm -hmm. these songs would become regional hits because they would literally load up records into their car and drive them around the radio stations. I mean, Elvis did that. That was part of how Elvis would break 10 years prior to this, roughly. Exactly. So here's a case of this kind of regional band did have some moderate national success as well. And the Beatles took notice, really made it their own, turned it into an incredible song in 1969. At number 44, a song which I just had to include in our rundown here, Mickey Gilly, Anybody Saw Urban Cowboy? <laughs> okay, but uh, at that point in time, he was just a struggling artist in Houston, Texas, and he it went into a local studio put down this song called I Ain't No Bo Diddley. No, I ain't Bo Diddley. I'm Mickey Gilly. <laughs> yeah. Here I come. Here I come. I'm coming home. And you know he was able to get in his car, drive over to the radio station, and hand the record. Oh yeah, yeah, I like this. We'll put it on the air. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, just another example of a local hit. I'm just a country boy by a baritone singer named George McKern, and I just love these. Playlist didn't seem to care much about accuracy and all because his name was George and I had a hard time finding information about him because they listed him as Bob. Like, oops. <laughs> so yeah, this is just something you don't see anymore on, on the charts. I'm just a country boy. Money have I none. But I've got silver in the stars and gold in the morning sun. Uh, so here we go. This is a station in Miami. WQAM, and you will note, this is just a tight thing 
Mimeoed on orange paper. Yep. We've had some really nice looking local handouts, usually something that someone would pay for and put their advertising on the bottom. No such luck here. No, absolutely not. And so here we are, number 47, they please please me listed. And, uh, and at number 28, we still have uh, Do Run Run uh, by the Crystals. Again, the Phil Spector uh, connection. Another trend to point out, uh, surfing, surfing music in 63, yeah, there you go, that was a big, big trend, one that of course was probably the king of all surfing songs, Surfing USA by the Beach Boys. Surfing USA, you'll catch them surfing at night after they cut this record, they actually drove it down to Dick Biondi and, oh, here, we want you to play this, and he would. Yep, so there we go, Dick Biondi strikes again, and of course uh, they did get into a little trouble later with Chuck Berry, uh, because this, of course, is based on, was it Sweet Little 16, I think it is? So, yeah. I actually own like a Chuck Berry live record. I think mm -hmm. it was released shortly after the release of Surfing USA, mm -hmm. and it credits Sweet Little 16. It calls it actually Surfing USA on the record. Oh, wow. He doesn't play Surfing USA, the cover, obviously. He doesn't cover it. But yeah. he just plays Sweet Little 16. It's funny how like they did that. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I think eventually in, in later pressings, they did credit Chuck Berry as a, yeah, they had to. <laughs> and, and there's a great story. Danny Harrison loved this record because he saw it in Teen Wolf. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, that's and, right. And so Olivia, Olivia went out and bought him the record. George got mad at her. Yeah. And it's like, no, 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 no. Don't listen to this. Yeah. You listen to where it came from, and he sat Danny down and played it with Chuck Berry. Oh, that's funny. Oh, my gosh. And at number 19, we have another uh, surfing classic, Pipeline by the Chantays, which is uh, an instrumental. Uh, and if you don't know it by the name, you've heard this. classic uh, instrumental. And then to add one more, which is not on this chart, but uh, the Dakotas had a song called The Cruel Sea. Oh yeah. And uh, that's Billy Jay's backing band. And when it was released in America, just because of this craze, they changed the title to The Cruel Surf. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And, uh, and boy, as we've gone along, I mean, there are so many surfing songs, I mean, they, they would even combine, I, I forget the exact name of the song. Hootenanny Surf. Yeah, Hootenanny Surf. And, I mean, and they advertise it as C-A dollar sign H-I-N on 
two trends. <laughs> I mean, it, it got ridiculous. I mean, it, it really did. So our last chart uh, that we want to show you is KRLA Pasadena. KRLA. Now, by this time, Dick Biondi was there. Yeah, he had left uh, WLS. And look at that. They finally spelled the Beatles correctly. And from me to you is now on the on the year. Um, uh, so so, so Dick Biondi was still a fan of the Beatles. He still got the record. BJ was pushing it a little bit because, well, there was a cover of it out at roughly the same time. Exactly. And because Dick Biondi was playing it, finally got on what was called bubbling under on the billboard charts. But it wasn't the only version of For Me To You on there. So you see that circle there uh, toward the bottom. Uh, it's at number uh, 125. Yeah. But up at the top, Del Shannon had a cover version of For Me To You at number 101. So he had a version of it at the same time. Which is quite interesting. Echoing what we would see when the BDs would release Sgt. Pepper, and they would advertise the Beatles records, it's the original. DJ put out ads in the trades. It's like, buy these records, one of them being for me to you, it's the original. And, well, they weren't going to put a whole ad for the Beatles. So it's, here's four British records for me to you, which is the original. One of the other ones, guess who? Frank Ifield. <laughs> see, it all comes back to Frank Ifield. So uh, so we hope that uh, we've given you a little taste of what we do on our show, and uh, we hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you so much. There was a piece in the NME, a news piece, that said the Top Rank Records, remember when Top Rank had a record label? And they introduced an LP series next week that will be called Toppermos. And it's coinciding with their current advertising slogan, Toppermost of the Poppermost. Yes, I thought, they got it from somewhere. They saw that. They must have seen that in either the NME or Record Mirror or Disc, Record and Show Mirror, as it was then. And they've taken it from there. They've obviously thought, how stupid that is. How stupid is, is one of those phrases that someone, an older person who doesn't understand teenagers, comes up with a slogan that they think is going to be the hip slogan of the month. Toppermost of the poppermost.